Uh, we're in the middle of a series called Saved Again, and we're looking through the Old Testament book of Judges. We spent two weeks looking at, uh, I guess, two lesser-known judges, characters, um, Ehud and Deborah. And tonight, we get to one of the crowd favorite favorites in the Judge of Gideon. And the story of Gideon is found in Judges 6 and 7, and we're going to go through that tonight. But let me ask you a question. Do you ever have doubts? As you were growing up, do you ever have doubts? Do you ever doubt yourself? You know, things like, should I be studying this course? Anyone doubted that before? Or the doubt of, should I be doing this kind of work? Maybe, maybe just before you got married, should I be marrying this person? I'm not talking to you, Tony. Too late for that, mate. <laughs> Tony's, Tony, I know it's never too late, Tony. Uh, <laughs> you know, I, I, think, I think if we're honest, I think if we're honest, a lot of times in our lives, we doubt. We don't really live with a passionate, uh, you know, outright kind of an answer, I think a lot of the times we doubt because I think uh, by nature, I think we're cynical, critical people. So we doubt a lot. How about this question? Have you ever, have you ever doubted God? Oh, man, I know for some of you, as soon as I said that, that just got real. You ever doubted God? Maybe God promised you something and you're sort of like, When's this happening, God? Or you're sitting and you feel just alone and God said, I'll be with you all the time and and you're like, well, where are you, God? Or maybe you're going through a season of struggle, going through a season of hardship and you think, wait a minute, isn't God meant to be looking after me? If you've known God long enough, you would have gone through seasons where there was doubt in your mind about God and about His thoughts and His desires for you. But can I tell you, be comforted because you are not alone. And let me introduce Gideon to you. Judges 6 and 7, where we're at, brings us to life in Israel after the death of Deborah. They've enjoyed years of peace and yet we see again that the Israel Israelites walk away from God. Now, let's go back to this cycle, the slide, and we'll see uh, the pattern. And we're going to see the pattern go around again. Okay? We're going to start on number two. Israel falls into sin and idolatry. Judges 6 verse 1. The Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, and for seven years he gave them into the hands of the Midianites. And then stage three, Israel is enslaved by neighboring country. Judges 6, verse 2. Because the power of Midian was so oppressive, the Israelites prepared shelters for themselves in mountain cliffs, caves, and strongholds. So the neighboring country was Midian, and the people of Midian were a nomadic tribe. And, and these guys were ruthless. Actually, till now, the Israelites, even though they were oppressed, they never got kicked out of their homes. 
But this time round, the oppression is that much more severe that we find that the Israelites are having to run from their home and find shelter in the mountains and in caves. And the Israelites would set up farms and harvest, and when the harvest was ready, the Midianites would come through like locusts and just clean out the place. And the oppression was severe. So then what happens? The next cycle, Israel cries out to the Lord, Judges 6, 6. Midian so impoverished the Israelites that they cried out for help. And then the next stage in the cycle is that God raises up a judge, Judges 6, 11 and 12. The angel of the Lord came and sat down under the oak at Ophrah that belonged to Joash the Abizrite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. Then the angel of the Lord, when the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. Amazing, right? You're just doing your job, and the angel of the Lord turns up and greets you with, The Lord is with you, mighty warrior. What's interesting about this statement is, as we're going to get to know Gideon, is that he is nor mighty or a warrior. And so if you know the story of Gideon, what you're going to find is Gideon was, he was a wuss and he was a doubter. Gideon lacks courage, he lacks, lacks faith, and he lacks belief, not only in himself, but in God. This is who Gideon is. Now, I want to summarize uh, four things that Gideon doubts, okay? Now, he, he's just doubting God, okay? This is who Gideon is, right? I'm going to go through a story, and we're going to see four things. We're going to learn four things about Gideon, about who Gideon is. Number one, Gideon doubts God's promise. The angel of the Lord has come and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. This is Gideon's response. Verse 13, pardon me, my Lord, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? Where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us about when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and given us into the hand of Midian. An angel of the Lord, okay? An angel of the Lord, not the postman, okay? An angel of the Lord turned up and said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. And Gideon automatically doubts God's promise. What's the promise? That God would save them. That God would save his people. And Gideon doubts that by saying, well, where is God? If this is what God has promised, why are we in trouble again? Why are we under oppression? And as much as that's a very legitimate question, not only, uh, not only is it a legitimate question, but in doing so, it still doubts the promise that God has made to his people. So that's the first thing. Gideon doubts God's promises. The second thing is this. Gideon doubts God's plans. Verse 14, right? This is the conversation that's still happening. The Lord turned to him and said, go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hands. Am I not sending you? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied. 
But how can I save Israel? My clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my family. The angels turned up and literally said to Gideon, you are the mighty warrior. I'm sending you to go and save them. And Gideon stands back and says, me? Like, my family isn't even a strong family, and I'm a nobody in my family. What's Gideon doing? He's questioning God's plans. He's doubting God's plans. Now, I'm going I'm to summarize all of this because throughout all of this are going to be snippets of our lives. So Gideon not only doubts God's promises, but he doubts God's plans. The third is this, Gideon doubts God's presence. Verse 16, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Great. But Gideon would reply, if now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that it is really you talking to me. An angel of the Lord has come and told Gideon. And Gideon's like, I am not sure. God says, I will be with you. And Gideon's like, I am not sure. Send me a sign. Show me a sign. Show me a sign that you're here, that you're here with us. And God does by, uh, in the form of a burning sacrifice in the next few verses. Gideon doubts God's promises. Gideon doubts God's plans. Gideon doubts God's presence. And finally, Gideon, after even all of that, doubts God's power. We jump to verse 36. Gideon said to God, if you will save Israel by my hand as you have promised, look, he's testing God. I will place a wool fleece on the threshing floor. If there is dew only on the fleece and all the ground is dry, then I will know that you will save Israel by my hand as you said. And this is what happened. Gideon rose early the next day. He squeezed the fleece and wrung out the dew, a bowl full of water. And you'd think, wow, wow, God, you really did it. But not Gideon. Then Gideon said to God, do not be angry with me. Let me make just one more request. Allow me one more test with the fleece. But this time make the fleece dry and let the ground be covered with dew. That night God did so. Only the fleece was dry. All the ground was covered with dew. Gideon not only doubted God's promises, God's plans, God's presence, but even after all of that, after God had answered all of that, he still continued to doubt God's power and test God whether God was going to pull through. Now, at this point of the story, right, and luckily I'm not God, but if I was God, I would have been done with Gideon. I'd be like, you doubt me, you doubt my presence, you doubt my plans, you doubt my promise, you're doubting everything that I say. Everything I say, you keep testing me. Like, are you sure? Can you prove, can you prove yourself? For me, if I was God, see you later, Gideon. I'm going to use your brother, Zidian. That's not biblical, by the way. I just made that up. I don't know if Gideon had a brother, Zidian. But this is something that we really learn about God. 
And something that we don't learn in the other areas of the, the, the story of Judges, and it's this. What we learn about God is that He is patient. We, we, we know through the story of Judges, God is a wrathful God. He's a, he's a feisty God. He's a frightening God. But what we see in these early um, interactions with Gideon is that God is a patient God. He's a long-suffering kind of God. You know, Gideon continues to doubt and doubt and doubt and question and question and question. And every time, God does not get angry. God does not get frustrated. God does, does not just flick him out of existence, but continues to walk with Gideon, helps Gideon at every step of the way. Anyone that has children would know this, Right? It is so much easier. It is so much easier for when a child comes and, and says something to you or questions you or doubts you as a parent for you to be like, how old are you? You're four. I'm 34. I'm older. Listen. You know, it's so easy. And I think as parents, it's one of the most frustrating things when kids are like that. Why is it like that? 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 And you think that only happens in the movies or on TV shows? Dad said it happens in my house. Why is it like that? Why is it? I have three of them. Why is it? Why is it? Why is it? Why is it, why is it you know. And one of the things that I I am I don't have. I, I wish I had, and I'm learning that I need it more and more is this patience. But one of the things that we need to understand about God is that He is patient, even when you don't deserve it. God is patient. Now let me ask you. Doesn't some of that story of Gideon's doubt relate to some of your story? I know 100%. I don't have to even do a survey. For the majority of us, we have all doubted God one way or another. For some of us, it's like doubting God's promises in your life. For some of us, it's questioning the plans that God has for your life. Are you sure this is what you want me to do, God? Are you sure? For some of us, it's doubting the existence of God. Where are you, God? For some of us, we question and doubt whether God can even do anything about our situation, questioning His power. When I say some of us, I'm not talking about with me excluded. I'm all four of them. Tick, 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 tick. In my life, I've questioned the presence of God, felt alone, felt like who's there to help me. I've questioned God's plans. I always thought I had, I, I thought I had better plans, but God doesn't like my plans. Sometimes I feel like I'm doing something and I'm, I don't know why I'm doing it. And, and it's like, God, I don't know why I'm doing this. And I question God's plans. I've questioned God's promises. God said, you know, this, 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 this through his word. And I'm like, oh, yeah, maybe. You know, I've questioned God's power. God, do you even hear my prayers? Can you even do anything about my life? But the comfort within this situation is not the fact that you need to stop doubting. But the comfort is that even in our doubts, 
even when we question, and even when we aren't in control of our future, God is. And God is patient with us. He doesn't send us away and go, go work it out, and then once you've worked it out, come back, and then we can do life together. He doesn't say, go fix yourself up, and then when you're fixed, come back, and then we can do life together. No, God is patient. He's embracing of who you are, where you are. You know, it's funny, right? The Lord, the, the angel of the Lord sees Gideon and says, mighty warrior, mighty warrior? There's nothing about Gideon in that, in that introduction that, that makes him a mighty warrior at all. But the thing that we learn about that as we continue the story is that God can see things that we can't see. God can see things that we can't see. God can do things that we can't even imagine. Because that's God. So finally... After all of these doubts, Gideon is finally convinced and ready to fight the Midianites. Okay, and so this is now the story is progressing. And so what he does is he calls uh, the men to come and fight. Now, to set you the scene of the battle, the big battle's coming. The Midianites are numbered at 135,000 soldiers. Okay, 135,000 soldiers. And when Gideon calls his soldiers, 32,000 soldiers turned up. Okay, so 135,000 versus 32,000. There's a difference of 100,000 soldiers already. Right? Big difference. Big difference. And, and you would think that, you would think that if you were Gideon and you went to God and said, God, they've got 135,000. We've only got 32,000. I think we're in a little bit of trouble, God. We might need a few more people. But God does something even more amazing. We jump to chapter 7, verse 2. The Lord said to Gideon, you have too many men. I cannot deliver Midian into their hands or Israel will boast against me. My own strength has saved me. Now announce to the army, anyone who trembles with fear may turn back and leave Mount Gilead. So 22,000 men left, while, while 10,000 remained. You would think, right, now logically speaking, right, if I've only got 32,000 and there's 135,000 over there, right, you would think, okay, God, we need some more men or angels Dogs, cows, whatever you can provide. Because we need to go one-to-one, -one, okay? And even at one-to-one, -one, right, you're sort of like, it's 50-50. And God goes, hmm, 32,000, too many. But the reason is amazing. Because if they went in with 32,000 and they won, Israel, because of their pride, they would not have given credit to God. They would have said, hey, Look at us, 32,000. We smashed 135,000. Woo, high five to Israel. Woo, yay for us. So God culls. And it's so simple, right? If, if you don't want to be here, <laughs> Israel army, if you don't actually want to fight and risk your life, you can go home. And the amazing thing is 22,000 of them went home. Can you imagine 
There's 32,000 people and, and Gideon goes, look, if you don't want to be here, you can go home. And you hear this, lucky. <laughs> 22,000 of them. So how many is there? 10,000, right? Now, 135,000 versus 10,000, okay? They've cut their army by 60%, 66%. But even at that point, right, and this is, this is a, an amazing story. I'm not going to read it, but even 10,000, God goes, too many. If I was Gideon, I, and, and I'm like Gideon the doubter, not just Gideon like full of faith and, you know, mighty warrior. Gideon the weak doubter has no faith, has no courage, and God says, 10,000, too many. Gideon... Just pulling out my hair. What's going on here? And so what he does is God, God wants to, 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 to work out who's going to find who, and he sends them all, 10,000. He sends them down to the river. And he says, tell everyone to go and have a drink in the river. Right? Simple, simple exercise. It's thirsty. You know, it's thirsty. It's hot, right? The men are thirsty. So everyone goes down to the river, and there are two ways you can drink from this river. And, 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 and God will use this method to weed out who's going to go and who's not. The first group of men, they just run down to the river, knees on the floor, head straight in the water, just drink straight out, right? That's 9,700, okay? The other way that you can drink water out of a river is that you're on your knees and you cup it, right? You cup it like this, not anyway. Use your imagination. 300 men drink cupped. And I've heard so many, like if you go to kids, like kids' church, you hear these stories about why God chose the ones that cupped it because they were, they were the ones ready to fight. Because, you know, when you're drinking, your head in the water, like someone would just come and stab you in the back and you're dead. But if you're, if you're like cupping and you're like, you know, who's going to, who's going to, you know, I'm ready, I'm ready, you know, like who's going to, and so... I don't know. I don't know if that's real, but God just uses that. So God sends home 9,700 soldiers. And they were actually, they wanted to fight as well. So what's God left? What, what's Gideon left with? 300 soldiers. 300. 300 soldiers might seem a lot, but not when you're fighting against 135,000 soldiers. 135,000. If you, do the, if you do the graph, right, if you do the fraction, it's one soldier versus 450 Midianite soldiers. So those 300 were like, okay, you take this 450, you, you take this 450, and as long as everyone takes their 450, we'll be sweet. 450 soldiers, right? This hall, this hall, seated, fully packed out, is like 250. Right? So if we maybe standing, everyone here, if, if we had 450, it'd be everyone standing versus me. Now, I don't care who I am, right? I'm not going to win. But this is the beauty of how God moves. He wants to make it so obvious that it is not by the strength of man that wins the battle, but it is God's strength. So the story continues, 300 head down to the Midian army base, and they're surrounded. And I love it. The Bible says the 300 men surrounded the Midian army base of 135,000. Like 135,000, 
like Chatswood, in Chatswood, there is 14,000 people, right? Right? Imagine trying to surround this with like 300 people, like it'd be like kilometers away. Like, hey, you're standing on your post? Yes. Okay, next person, next person, next person. It's this comical idea of 300 people surrounding 135,000 people, right? But what's funnier is what they're holding in their hands, these soldiers, these 300 soldiers. The Bible tells us they're holding trumpets and jars of clay with fire in them. There's no mention of a sword, spear, gun, cannon, nuclear bomb, whatever, all right? And this is how the battle goes down. Chapter 7, verse 19, Gideon and the hundred men with him, okay, because they split up into three, reached the edge of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, just after they had changed the guard. They blew their trumpets and broke the jars that were in their hands. The three companies blew the trumpets and smashed the jars. Grasping the torches in their left hand and holding in their right hand the trumpets they were to blow, they shouted, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. While each man held his position around the camp, all the Midianites ran, crying out as they fled. When the 300 trumpets sounded, sounded the Lord caused their... What did it say? Those men, the men, the men throughout the camp to turn on each other with their swords and the army fled. Sometimes I wish that they were a little bit more descriptive with the, uh, you know, like this is the big battle scene. You'd think that they would sort of prolong it a little bit, but that's it. It's this humorous, it's this comical story of 300 guys going to fight 135,000. No swords, right? They get there and go, I'm sure that's what they was, you know. I'm sure that's the tune that they were sounding. They smash clay jars and they get, they get like, you know, fire out of them. They start waving the fire, blowing their trumpet. And then in that moment of madness, what, what God does to the 135 million soldiers is they get confused. God confuses them. They all pick up their own swords and start hacking into each other. It's hilarious, right? Till the point where they kill each other. And you've just got 300 soldiers around the camp going, bum, 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 bum. It's, like, it's like they were just like the soundtrack. You know, they were just providing the soundtrack and the atmosphere for the Midianites to just kill each other. And as much as you kind of think, mm, wait a minute, that, how does that even happen? It happened. How did it happen? It happened because God wanted it to happen like that. Sometimes, I think sometimes we overestimate the importance of understanding. Sometimes it's like we need to understand God for us to believe God. Sometimes it's like we need to know how the nitty-gritty works with God, and then it's like, okay, then God, I'll go. And I think that's what getting the picture of. It's like, I doubt that, I doubt that, I question that, I question that, because I need to know. How do I know? How do I know this is going to happen? How do I... But I think God's just blown this out of the water and go, look, I'm just going to do what I'm going to do. And you just need to believe and trust me. And then the ever familiar story where Israel destroys the enemy. And that's the rest of the chapter. See, from the beginning, this was God's plan. From the beginning, this had, uh, this had God's handprints all over it. 
God was with them, and ultimately it was God's power that won the battle. Not Gideon, definitely not his 300 trumpet blows. This was all God. If we bring this back into our own lives and go back to those four things that we doubt. We doubt God's promises. We doubt God's plans. We doubt God's presence. And we doubt God's power. You know, I, can I tell you that the best sermon that the preacher preaches is the one that is preached to him first? And I met a pastor, I met a pastor friend of mine on Friday, and he said, What are you preaching on? I said, I'm preaching on Gideon. It's really hard. It's long. There's a lot that happens in there. And, uh, you know, I think it's just a good story. I'm still trying to work out what it all means. And, um, and we're just talking through it, and we're talking through life, and we're talking through different bits and pieces. And, and, he, and my friends started asking me these questions about my relationship with God and church and what's happening at church and what's happening in my life. And I started answering, and, and, and my friend laughed at me, and he goes, hey, I don't want to sound, like, uncomfortable, but you kind of sound like Gideon. I said, what do you mean I kind of sound like Gideon? I got all defensive on him. What do you mean I... I believe in God, I believe he's here, and I believe he's powerful. And he goes, yeah, but you're asking me questions, or you're telling me answers that sound like you just don't trust him. And that moment clicked in my heart. And I realized that, it's funny, like I'm reading this story over and over again. And I'm dealing with the things and the, the, the trials and the troubles of life and all these bits and pieces. And I realized that that's the point. The point is that each and every one of us will go through seasons of doubt. God, are you even here? God, do you even care? God, I feel like I'm doing nothing with my life. I feel like I have no purpose with my life. What am I doing? God, you got a plan. I got a plan. But every time I try to do something about my plan, you keep closing the doors. So, God, what's with that? You got a plan? Show me your plan. And we pray. God, Bible says, Ask and it will be given. So you ask and you just wait. And that time of waiting, it's like, God, really? Like you said you give it. I'm still waiting. Doubting God, questioning God. You know, one of the biggest doubts that we have is ourself. Who we are. Who God has created us to be. I don't know about you, but I know that uh, I'm a pretty confident kind of guy. I can hold my own. And, um, you know, most of the time, I can, uh, I can rock up into a situation and make it my own. But there are times where I think the facade is better than reality. And I've shared this with a few of my friends, and sometimes... 
you know, that term, like, you got to fake it till you make it. Well, I feel like I'm just faking it till I fake it. <laughs> you just keep faking it till you fake it, and then you die, <laughs> you know? And I think one of the greatest tools that the enemy has is this doubt of self, of who God has called you to be, the identity that God has called you to be. And, and we go back to Gideon, and, and we go back to his first encounter with God, where God says and calls him, Mighty warrior. Mighty warrior. How many of us have forgotten who God has called us to be? Who are we? We're his children. We're God's children. We're friends of God. We're his masterpiece. We're adopted into his family. We're citizens of not this world, but of heaven. We belong to God, never to be separated from His love. This is who we are. This is who we are. We just have to trust God in who He says we are. But the beauty is, even when we doubt, God does not cut us off. But God continues to walk with us, reminding us of who we are reminding us of the way we were created and for what purposes we were created for. I had a moment this week where, I don't want to say it was rock bottom, but it was a tough moment. Where at the end of the day, if, and I had to nut this out. I came to a point and I was like, I don't know if I can do this anymore. Right? The whole pastor thing, the whole ministry thing. You know, after four and a half years, you know, you know, there are elements that gets tiring. There are sometimes um, elements where it gets lonely. There are moments of disappointment externally, but more importantly, like there's disappointment internally. And I had one of those moments where I was just really disappointed in myself. I was like, man, what are you doing? Like... You've been, you've been like beating this, this, this dead horse for so long and things aren't changing. You're not changing. People aren't changing. The church isn't changing. And I had this moment where I was like, God, are you sure? Are you sure about the chapel, Sydney? Four and a half years on. You know, God, are you sure about my calling to ministry 12 years on? You know, God, are you sure? that, that, that you, you're going to be with me every day, like 20 years on in my faith. And you know what was awesome? There was no lightning or thunder. There was no electricity that went through my body. There was no slap in the back of my head. There was no kick in my bum. There was just this quietness. Well, God didn't say anything, but I felt like he was saying, <laughs> I just felt like he was like, shh, be quiet. Just, and it wasn't a rebuke. It wasn't like a, you know, you're a naughty boy. You know, stop, stop thinking those bad things. It was like this, like, shh, it's okay. And I just wonder how many of us are going through something like that now. Well, you're doubting yourself. You're doubting your call. You're doubting God's promises, God's plans, God's presence, God's power. 
And I just wonder how many of us really just need to know that, that God is good and that his faithfulness is beyond measure, that his power and his strength, his plan and his purpose is perfect as we see in the story. So many times we try to make things happen ourselves when really God's like, well, if you're going to be like that, I'm going to wait another few years. I'm going to cut you from 32,000 to 10,000 and 10,300 so that you can never take any kind of credit for what I am going to do. Maybe God's pruning you. I just want you to be encouraged because it worked through Gideon. God worked through Gideon. God worked through his weaknesses and his doubts, and God can do the same through you. God can do the same through me. Trust me, I'm not standing here because I've got anything going for me. I'm here because God said to me, I want you to do this. And I said, okay, well, even though I don't really feel like it, I'll, I'll, I'll do it. And I'm still waiting. I'm still waiting for God to answer some of my prayers. I'm still waiting for God to turn up in miraculous and mighty ways. I'm still waiting for God to give me a plan for the church over the next 10, 20, 30, 40 years. You know, I'm still waiting. But that doesn't mean that God is not real and that God is not here. And I pray that tonight that as we look at that story of Gideon, that that you would find not greater strength in yourself, that you would find greater strength in God and the faithfulness in His promises because He is a good God. He is a good God. Let's pray.